Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, we're going to start. We're going to finish chapter one today. You guys probably thought we'd never get through it, but this is going to be good. We've got eight verses to cover and more than one slide, so this will be a lot of fun. I'm just kidding, RC. All right, let's go to the, can you go to the first one, Austin? All right, so again, Hebrews, how do we have confidence to ensure that we are not ashamed when Jesus appears to take us home? Well, it's by building our faith. It's the only way. In Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we pray that 1 John 2, 27 over every single service. And then verse 28, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And that's the goal is to have confidence in the Lord that we're not going to be ashamed when Jesus shows up to take us home. And so Hebrews is going to really strike that, strike that chord and help build us in that regard. So a God-man better than the angels. This was the outline for the whole book. We're in chapter one right now. And that first section of chapters one through seven is Jesus is the new and superior deliverer. And we spent a lot of time last week on doing a deep dive on angels and how God was building the case that Jesus is greater than the angels. And so he's a God-man better than the angels. And that kind of closes out, that, that theme closes out chapter one a little bit. But it's really that he is the creator and conqueror. That's the, that's the goal of the, of the end of chapter one here. He's creator and conqueror. The first three verses, God who at sundry times and on diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, or time domains. We talked about that a lot. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So again, God's spoken. He's the heir of all things. He made the worlds or time domains. He's the brightness of all of God's glory, the image of the Father. He upholds all things by his power, Colossians 1.17. He made purification of sin once and for all for us, and he sat down on the majesty on high, and that's all in the first three verses from a couple weeks ago to open chapter one. And then the three verses we covered last week, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And so we are, we are to worship Jesus as the creator. And the whole case he was building, the father was building last week, is that Jesus, the father commands angels to worship Jesus, thus Jesus is greater than all of the angels. So to start our verses this week, verse 7, And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, this is amazing. Psalms 104, this is a quote from Psalm 104. And as I've mentioned a couple times, Hebrews builds entirely off the Old Testament. And it quotes everywhere from the Old Testament. And Randy pointed out yesterday as we were looking at this in chapter one, there's actually seven quotes from the Old Testament, which is incredible just in the chapter itself. But Psalm 104, 4 who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. That's the quote that God is using right here in Hebrews 1.7. Colossians 2.10, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all 
And there's those ranks of angels again. Remember, we talked about that last time. Principalities, powers, wickedness, rulers in high places. Those are all ranks of angels from Ephesians. And so in Colossians 2.10, because we are complete in him, Jesus is head of all of those ranks of angels. And God's angels are ministers, a flame of fire. They're the ones who God sent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. When you look at Genesis 19, for we, these are the angels speaking to Lot and his family, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And so remember, Jesus and the two angels meet Abram in the tent. Well, the two angels leave and go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to grab Lot and his family to take them out. And that's actually, they're the ones who were sent to rain fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. So that word ministers of a flame of fire, it's, it's literally coming to pass in instances like that. In verse 8, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. And here it is again. Here's a quote from Psalms 45, verse 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. So there's the quote all the way back from Psalms again. The Father here in Psalms 45, verse 6 in Hebrews 1, 8 is calling Jesus God. Look at this. Thy th- this is the Father speaking. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the Father is confirming the deity of the Son in this very verse right here. Jesus' throne is forever. And we studied that probably ad, ad nauseum in Revelation, but it's true. Jesus' throne is forever. He's not on it yet. And that's where the church gets confused a lot because he's not sitting on it yet. He has sat at the right hand of the Father until, from Psalms 110, which we'll look at later, until he makes his enemies his footstool. And then Jesus sets up his throne in the millennium, and it will last forever. Not just that thousand years, but in the new heaven and the new earth afterwards. His reign is eternal from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. I think I just added in the the last verse 7, though. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then from Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, his throne is forever. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. In other words, it is forever. God's confirming this all over the Old Testament. And scepters are interesting. You'll hear in Hebrews 1.8, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. We don't really think and connect with scepters a lot. It's just in our culture because we don't, we're not in a nation that has a king with a scepter like at ancient times. But scepters are all over the Bible. And I just picked out a few places here. The Hebrew word is sabet. It's kind of how you pronounce that. But the first place it shows up is in a prophecy about Jesus, which is amazing. The first place in the entire Bible the word scepter shows up in the Hebrew is in Genesis 49.10. And it's a prophecy that Jacob had over Jesus. So the end of Genesis in 49, Jacob's prophesying over the 12 tribes as he's about to die. And he prophesies this over Judah, and it's about Jesus. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. See, what he's saying there, what Jacob is saying here prophetically to Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Judah, meaning the king, the king royalty line of Israel, so the lawgiver, they, they held this prophecy, the Jews, as that they would have the right to execute their own form of law and capital punishment 
until the Messiah. Shiloh is a name of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Until Shiloh come, they would never lose that right. And they didn't until the Romans took over and kept them in the land. And then they lost the right to execute capital punishment. And the rabbis, when you study this in history, in Jewish writings, the rabbis marched around the city in sackcloth and ashes mourning because they thought God's law, his word was broken, that the, the lawgiver was taken from them, the ability to execute it, and the Messiah had not shown up. But up in Nazareth, Jesus was there as a child at that point, and they didn't realize it. They missed him. But that's what, Jake, that's what the Lord is prophesying through Jacob there. And I think that's amazing that the scepter is tied to Jesus from the very beginning. Balaam prophesied about this scepter. Numbers 24, 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. And that in itself is amazing that Balaam is prophesying that he will see Jesus someday, but not yet, which is incredible to think about. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Now that's incredible. So the scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's Jesus. In Esther 5, we studied Esther last time in Bible study. We're in Ezekiel now, but in Esther. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. This whole story is incredible. If you haven't really studied Esther, you could be killed just for going into the king without an invitation. And so she was very nervous to go into the king to plead on behalf of her people, the Jews. But when she came in, the Lord was with her and she found favor in God's eyes and in the eyes of the king. And he held out the scepter. And you could, you could apply that all over our lives. Have you found favor with the king and touched the top of his scepter? And if you're saved, you have. So in Hebrews 1, 9, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. It's a continuation of Psalms 45, verse 7. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So there's two sides to Jesus when you really think about it. He loves righteousness and he hates wickedness or iniquity. And the same should be true about us. You should love righteousness and abhor and hate iniquity or wickedness. And there are two sides to his rule. He's the lion and the lamb. So the lion... He's, he is the righteousness because of he's the lamb, but thus he hates wickedness and will destroy it because he's the lion. So he's the lion and the lamb, two sides of Jesus and his rulership. In John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So if you love righteousness, you'll keep his commandments. And to, and to keep his commandments, you've got to be in the word of God. That's the key. You've got to be in the word of God. So we are, and you hear this phrase all the time, right in church, and Randy and I were actually joking about this yesterday. You need to hate the sin and love the sinner, right? I'm sure everyone here has heard that. Leviticus 19, 17, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. In other words, love the sinner, love the brother, and hate the sin that he or she may be in. In Psalms 97.10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. So love the Lord and hate love righteousness and hate evil. Proverbs 8.13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. See, again, the Lord hates the sin, and he's loving the sinner. He died for all of those sinners, you and I included, but he hated the sin that we were stuck in. He freed us from that bondage. So these verses right here early on, they're laying out Jesus as the Messiah. 
The father announces his deity. It presents his position and his throne, his kingship, the reference to the scepter, the excellency of his reign, the perfection of his character on earth, the place of his subjection, which is incredible, his reward in terms of being anointed, his preeminence, and his love for us in loving righteousness and hating wickedness, which is just incredible right here in the first couple of verses. In Hebrews 1.10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. So Hebrews 1.10 through 12 is a quote from Psalms 102.25 through 27. And when you look at it, Psalms 102.25, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. So he laid the foundations of the earth. Now, we're going we're gonna to get into some science here for a little bit. And this is incredible. I, I just want you to think about the foundations of the earth. What in the world is that? And so Job 38, verse 4 through 7, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, again, and I've said this to a lot of you, Job is one of my favorite books in the Bible because at the very end, God comes in and gives Job the greatest science quiz in the entire Bible. And Job is just, he has no answer. And how could you? If you're full of pride in some way, how could you even respond to your maker when he's asking you these things? And you kind of miss it, but Job is all about everything that comes before you if you are saved is father-filtered. That's the point of the book. Because you see the discourse between God and Satan in the very beginning in chapter 1. And God is the one that points out Job. Satan didn't come to him and say, hey, there's this guy down there serving you, and I'd like to have a go at him. Do I have your permission? God is saying, hey, have you, have you even looked at Job? There's none more righteous than him. And the whole thing was to, Job had some pride in his life that God had to need out. And you see that through the whole book, and you see it really come out when Jesus meets him out of the whirlwind and has a science quiz for him on, hey, where were you? Are you the one that feed the deer? Are you the one that keep the clouds in the air that are full of water? Are you the one? He goes down this list, and it's just incredible. But where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof? So God measured it. If thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it. Now, stretching a line upon something in the Bible is always tied to a judgment also, which you could go down a rabbit trail about that. But whereupon the foundations thereof fastened. You know, he talks about, we're going to look at this in Job in a little bit, but he hung the earth on nothing. How did he do that? Where are those foundations fastened to? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? The cornerstone, you should immediately think of Jesus when you hear that phrase, right? The stone the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner, and Jesus was the creator of the earth. He is the cornerstone. When the morning stars sang together, those are the angels, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So he laid the foundations of the earth. Foundation of the earth, it's all over the Bible, but Isaiah 48, 13, my hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I called unto them, they stand up together. See, creation moves at the word of God. At God's word, mountains rise and fall. Oceans roar when God speaks. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this article Later, someone do not let me forget. John Eric, don't let me forget to share this at the end because Dan sent this to me yesterday. Just remind me, earthquake. Say earthquake at the end, okay? So, but when he speaks, creation moves. In Zechariah 12, 1, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel saith, the Lord which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world which is incredible. We study that in Revelation 13, 8. 
And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, God had you in mind before you were ever even breathed. Before he even formed the foundation of the earth, before Genesis 1-1, he had you in mind and Jesus had agreed to what he needed to go do. He was slain from that point all the way back then in the father's eyes. His son was going to have to be sacrificed, and he did it anyway. He created it and created you and me anyway. The foundations of the earth, they can be out of order according to Psalms 82, verse 5. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. They're out of order. They're chaotic. He's going to put them back together with a pressure of a foot very soon. The bounds of the sea were established when the foundations were appointed. Proverbs 8, 29. But when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. So he set the bounds of the sea. Look at that. There's a, this is confirmed a couple other times in the Bible. When he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment. It's amazing. If you track any shoreline in the world, how you can see high tide and low tide, and it stays there always. Because who set the bounds of the sea? The Father did. Jesus did. He gave the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. It's an engineering statement here because when you design a foundation, you design them for every directional load you can imagine, okay? Every directional load that would come upon a foundation, you design it for that to hold up. When you do a building, that it breathes with atmospheric temperature, pressure, wind loading, snow loading, etc., the movement of the earth, whatever. And so I love that God is making a statement here that he appointed the foundations of the earth to carry the load of every load that the earth would ever experience. And there's going to come a time that he removes the earth out of her place from Isaiah in the tribulation. He's going to remove the earth out of its place. The foundations are going to shake. and It shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that cometh up out of the midst of that pit shall be taken in the snare, for the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down in Isaiah 24, the next verse 19. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again." There's going to come a point when he takes the earth, and we talked about this in Revelation, but he literally just moves it out of its orbit, and he's designed the foundation to handle that. Thou, all that movement suddenly of this earth with just the pressure of his hand, he's just going to move it over. So we need to fear the one who laid the foundations of the earth. Isaiah 51, 12, and 13, look at this. I, even I, am he that comforteth you, who art thou, that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? In other words, why are you fearing man whose breath is limited and is going to pass away? And of the Son of Man, which shall be made as grass, and forgettest the Lord thy Maker that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and hast feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy And where is the fury of the oppressor? Fear me, God is saying. Don't fear man. Man can threaten you all day with anything. And we're going to talk about, at the end of the message today, in the call to action, some things about freedom. Because there's a move of God in the world about freedom right now. God's promise to Israel is is tied to the foundations of the earth. This is incredible. Jeremiah 31, 37. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. In other words, I will never get rid of my promise to Israel 
because you can't ever measure and search out the foundations of the earth. A lot of people, you know, scientists have tried to figure this out. How in the world does this thing even work? The earth that we're on. And they can't. They can't figure it out. Because Jesus, it is so awe-inspiring to look at what he did and what he created for us. But you can't search out the foundations. There was a science group that they had, they had raised all this money to try to drill through the mantle of the earth to see what's below it because there's actually sound. You can detect sound from below it. And they think there's a freshwater ocean there. They think there's, obviously the core of the earth is uh, molten um, metal. And they're going to try to drill through this giant drill. I cannot think of anything dumber than drilling through a wall when you don't know what's on the other side. And they stopped. They... I think God stopped them, but it's incredible. They had this plan to do this. And if you're a student in the Bible, you're going, man, you guys just want to usher in Revelation 9, like right now, don't you? We don't want the bottomless pit opened. It's not time yet. So Micah 6, hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. Okay, Psalm 104.5, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke, thy, they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound. Here it is again. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass, that they turn not again to cover the earth. You know, you hear this, this science that's propagated all the time on, uh, well, the, the ice caps are going to melt and just flood Manhattan, right? And, and the whole east coast, eastern seaboard is going to be underwater. And God says it's not. So I'm going to take him at his word. But they go down by the valleys in the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass. They're not going to pass that bound. He has set it. And he says so. In Job 26, look at this. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So how did he hang the foundations of the earth? For what you and I can see, it's on nothing. But it's actually on a lot. And that gets into hyperdimensions and what's on the other side and really what are those foundations tied to he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not rent under them that's amazing how many of you have ever filled a gallon of water and you carry it and it's water's heavy you know you think about a cloud it's full of water how does it stay in the air how does it hang there on nothing well god does it that water should bring it down but it doesn't somehow it holds it up he holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. And so it's by his understanding, by the word of God, that he divides the very sea itself. Look at the end of this verse, verse 10. And the heavens are the works of thine hands. The heavens are the works of his hands. They declare his glory according to Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. This could also be a reference to the Hebrew Maseroth. And you could look this up and study this, but the Maseroth is what the Hebrews called the 12 constellations. It's what we today in our culture call the Zodiac. And the Zodiac is completely evil. Do not get into horoscopes. It's demonic. It's fortune-telling. It's divination. Do not. Cast that out of your life if you have anything to do with it. Do not read your horoscope. Have I been clear? <laughs> do not read your horoscope. But the constellations, according to Psalms 19, declare the glory of God. And he set them in place, these 12 constellations, because they actually lay out the story of the Messiah from the virgin Virgo to the lion of the tribe of Judah, Leo. And when you look at the constellations, 
they lay out the entire redemptive story of God from the Bible. And it's incredible. And the Hebrews knew this. It's called the Maseroth. And that's a lot of people think that's how Adam even started to share the story of redemption with his children was through the stars of the, of the heavens, through this story. And there's a whole thing with, when you look at the stars and you see people try to draw the little picture of how they get Vir, the Virgo, the Virgin, and she's got an ear of corn, and then Jesus talks about the ear of corn in the, in the Gospels. There's a connection there. But you're looking at it and you're going, I have no idea how you drew a woman out of those stars. And you don't see it at all, but God gave it to them. And then, of course, in Babylon, it was corrupted. They turned it into fortune-telling, divination, demonic rituals. It's an entry, and they turned it into the Zodiac, what we know now and what's printed in the newspapers every day. And so just don't be a part of it, but realize the background of it, that it was placed, according to Psalms 19, to declare the glory of God. That's the point. That's the point. Job 38, 31 through 32. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? This is an incredible science statement by God to Job. Can thou bind the sweet influence of the Pleiades? The Pleiades are a grouping of seven stars that make up the belt of Orion in the constellations. They are the only stars in the entire Milky Way galaxy that are bound together by gravity, not electromagnetism. Every other star, it's so far apart from each other, they have no influence on one another with gravity. You have to be within a certain distance for the... Is it back? Okay. Might be the batteries. Uh, The stars have to be so close together to hear... Thank you, Kelly. To, To have any gravitational influence. They have to be really close in proximity. That's why... The moon has gravitational influence with the earth, with the tides and all that. Anyway, most of the stars, when you look at them, and you look, they look really close together, but really depth-wise, they are light years and light years apart. They have no influence on each other except through electromagnetism, except the Pleiades. It's the only grouping in our solar system that has an influence on one another. And what's amazing is how did Job know that? We didn't discover that until, I don't know, it was in the 40s, I think, that we discovered that scientifically. But he obviously didn't. But the one that created them and hung the stars to begin with did know Jesus. In Psalms 97, oh, and there's the, the reference to the Maseroth there in Job 38, verse 32. Canst thou bring forth the Maseroth in his season? There's a link to it right there. Psalms 97, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. You know, creation alone is enough to hold man accountable when you think about it. And Romans talks a lot about that. But in Psalms 50, verse 6, And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Okay, when you look at this, the heavens declare the glory of God. These are spiral galaxies. And you probably can't read the writing down there, but they go in order of from uh, soonest to furthest away in light years, okay? And when you look at stars, you always measure it in light years. How far away is it with light traveling at the current speed it's, it's traveling at to get there? The first one's 2 million light years, 18 million, 25, 32, 65, and 108 million light years away. Big span in differences. I mean, that distance is almost immeasurable. You cannot fathom 108 million light years. Think about that. Light traveling as fast as it does for 108 million years. That's how far away it is. But when you look at these spiral galaxies, you'll notice something. No matter how far apart they are, they all look similar, but they're twisting. And what's amazing is it's a testament that they were created at the exact same time and that speed, the speed of light had to be a million times perhaps faster in the past than it is now. And Barry Setterfield in Australia just made that discovery a couple decades ago that the speed of light is slowing down. I mean, in engineering school, I was taught it was a constant my entire life, and it's not. He discovered that. But see, because the galaxy, they have this twist where they start out really, really tight together, and they start to spin out. And as they spin out, they start to fan over time. Well, 
you would think then the ones further away would have a lot more twist because they're older. But the ones further out and the ones closest have almost the same twist, which means the light had to be traveling incredibly faster than it is now for us to see it in that state. Are you following me? And so, does that make sense? I know you guys are getting it. So then, so it's twisting and you're seeing it as it was from creation. That's the point because it's traveling that much faster because they're all created at the same time. Pretty cool. Pretty cool testament of the heavens declaring the glory of God. The heavens shall perish ultimately from 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So they're going to pass away. And because you know that, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the God of God? So you can actually hasten the day of the Lord by looking to it and praying for it and holding yourself in good, look at that, holding yourself, what kind of person ought you be in holy conversation and godliness? Because you know everything's going to pass away, it should drive you to a posture of worship to him and getting your life right with Jesus. Surrender it all to him. That's, that's what he's saying there. In verse 11, they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment. He's talking about the heavens still. The heavens will tremble and shake, according to Joel 2.10. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. In Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. That's Jesus speaking. He's going to roll them up, and they shall all wax old as a garment. They shall perish, and he's going to fold them. Look at this. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them. Can you imagine the creator of, of space and time itself taking space and just folding it up? And we talked about this all the way back in Revelation 21 with a new heaven and a new earth, but that is incredible to think about. How can you fold up space? It means there has to be, it's a proof, number one, that there has to be another dimension for it to fold into. Otherwise, you can't bend it. You know, it's, again, it's like this two-dimensional sheet of paper. You've got to have a third dimension to roll it up into. Otherwise, you can't. But as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same. And there's the verse Ryan was talking about this morning. And thy years shall not fail. So he stretched out the heavens, and he'll fold them up. There's going to come a point that our current galaxy that we live in, our solar system, is just pushed aside. And from Revelation 21, he sees a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to get to stand like the angels did in Job and cheer when Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to make it all new again. And just what an amazing redeemer we serve. From Job 9.8, who alone stretches out the heavens. So he stretched them out like a tent curtain. Look at that. From Psalms 104, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. From Isaiah 40, he has stretched out the heavens from Jeremiah 10. The Lord who stretches out the heavens from Zechariah 12. And this isn't just poetic language. It's all over the Bible. From 2 Samuel 22, Job 26, 37, Psalms 18, and on and on and on it goes. God alone stretched out heaven. It's not infinite. And modern science has discovered that, that space has an end point. They now know if you, could, if you had enough rocket fuel, they know you could, uh, an end point you could get to because God has stretched it out. He set it out like a tent. It's not empty. Space can be torn, according to Isaiah 64.1. It can be worn out like a garment from Psalms 102. It can be shaken from Hebrews 12, Haggai 2, and Isaiah 13. It can be burned up from 2 Peter 3. We looked at that. It can be split apart from Revelation 6. It can be rolled up like a scroll from Hebrews 1 and Isaiah 34. It's amazing. 
the Bible is full of these physics statements that just authenticate the author himself as creator. In verse 13, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? And here's the father saying this all the way back in Psalms 110. It's another quote from Psalms. The father will make Jesus' enemies his footstool. And that is incredible. Because if they're an enemy of, a, of Jesus, they should be your enemy. And there's going to come a point when those enemies are made a footstool for the son. From Psalms 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is the very verse that Jesus used in Matthew 20, 22 to confound the Pharisees and lawyers. And, and I love this passage. This is Jesus saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? He's asking them. They say unto him, the son of David, of course, the son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Do you see the, the trap Jesus has them in? How can he be the son of David, but if David's calling him Lord? And and I love the end of this is so funny. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. <laughs> it's great. I mean, you can just picture Jesus going at it with these lawyers, you know, and just bringing the truth of the word of God out to confound them legally. He was using the legal, the legal side of the law to get them all bound up in a mind vice. It's just incredible. And, and the point is, he's telling them he had to be the son of David because it's promised. You can go to the next slide, Austin. But he's also the Lord, and he uses Psalms 110. The last verse of this section for today, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So did you know you're an heir of salvation? And that doesn't mean your justification. And we've talked about this a lot. But in the Bible, there are three tenses of salvation throughout the entire Bible. Justification is removal from the penalty of sin, right? Romans, the wages of sin are death. See, we were serving sin, and thus our wages were death. That's what you reaped from it. Oh, thank you. Yes, Jay, you reminded me. That's what you were, that's what you were reaping from that service was death, but Jesus paid that wage on your behalf. Thus, you did not owe anything. Thus, you are saved without any works of doing anything because he paid it for you. Once you're saved, removal from the penalty of sin, you have the sanctification process, which is removal from the power of sin. That's what I talked about to begin Hebrews, about Numbers 29, with the sanctification process of the Lord having eyes as a flame of fire, the eyes as a flame of fire, and just refining you and sanctifying you the whole time, the final tense of salvation, according to the Bible, is glorification. That's what you're an heir of that Hebrews 1.14 is speaking of. You're an heir to glorification where you are removed from the very presence of sin. So penalty, power, and presence there's a seminary note for you. Got to do everything with the same letter and have it rhyme somehow. But the presence of sin, that's what, that's what it is when you're with him. So the word in verse 13, 14 for salvation, I'm going to totally butcher it in the Greek, but it's one rendering, one rendering of it means future salvation, the sum of benefits and blessings which the Christians redeemed from all earthly ills will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the consummated and eternal kingdom of God. Now, that's a definition of a word, but that's what you're an heir of, according to the Greeks, and that's incredible. That's what God wrote. Glorification with him for your works in the Spirit. So these verses we covered today, the summary of the Son, his position's unique from Psalm 2-7. He's the head of the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel 7. Angels are to worship him from Psalms 97. 
Angels are created to serve him from Psalms 104. He will rule the kingdom from Psalms 45. He's the creator from Psalm 102. He's seated at the right hand of the Father from Psalms 110. He will rule on the earth, Luke 1, Revelation 19. In Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And that's exactly what he's going to do. So get into the word. We're going to, I'm going to show you guys a couple of very short clips real quick because we're going to pray for Canada and Australia and what the Lord is doing. But the time right now for us as a church is to get into the word of God. And I cannot stress this enough to all of you that we are the world and God's people are in a fight for the right to study and stand on the word of God. And if you're paying attention and watching any news broadcast that's not on cable network, you will see this and you'll see what's really going on in the world. It is a fight. It is a spiritual warfare that we are in right now. And God is saying to all of these people around the world, the exact same thing that he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And if they don't, if they don't let his people go, there's going to be some, something radical is going to happen. And I'm, for one, am really excited to see Jesus either conquer and his people go free or Jesus conquer and something really crazy happens. Either way, I'm good. But we need to be in prayer for the, the latter, or I mean the former. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what we're battling is what you can't see. And we've got to build up our faith because without it, according to Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please him. And how do you get it? Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You've got to be in your Bible right now. I don't know if, I truly do not know. Will we continue to be the last place on earth? that can study the word of God openly and freely without all of us going to prison when we leave this building, or is something else going to happen? I don't know, but we have got to be prayer warriors right now. We have got to stand on the truth of God's word. We've got to know his word. You can't fight in this war if you don't know how to handle the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And you've got to pray, pray, pray. And if you go into this battle with any strongholds in your life still, you're going to be a casualty of war. Just like the Israelites when they did not tear down what God told them to in Joshua and Judges in the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and the Golan Heights. So you've got to do that. If there's an area God's telling you to eradicate and get out of your life, you've got to do it. Those three areas, they didn't. And just like Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, wrote in Romans, all those things were written aforetime for our learning. And you're looking right now in the newspapers at the fruit of, what, of the children of God not listening to him. So don't, do not be stubborn and hold on to something. Surrender it to the Lord because he is, he is moving. And let me just read this real quick. This was the, the article. I mentioned last week about... I think I shared last week about the earthquake three days before our baptism back in August. Didn't I share that last week? And Jesus telling me that next morning, Matt's okay. It was me. I had to come down and, and visit you all for the baptism. Dan, he's not here this morning. I really wish he was. He sent me this yesterday. This article of Newsweek just came out this week. How a huge silent earthquake caused a mysterious global tsunami. Researchers have published an investigation into the mysteries behind an enormous hidden earthquake that caused a global tsunami last year. In a study published in Geophysical Research Letters on February the 8th, scientists said that a total of five earthquakes, including one massive hidden tremor, created the tsunami after striking close to the South Sandwich Islands on August the 12th, of 2021, three days before our baptism service. This, this happened in the heart of the earth as a hidden earthquake. In the remote southern ocean off the coast of the continent of South America, the study showed that tsunami-causing earthquakes such as the August 12th incident 
had complex patterns that could confound how scientists measure, 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 major, let's try to say that four times fast, measure major tectonic activity. The authors suggested that existing methods for mitigating the potential damage of earthquakes and tsunamis could need rethinking to make sure tsunami warnings were reliable. Researchers described an initial rupture that happened deep below the oceanic crust in between South American and the South Sandwich tectonic plates at a depth of around 29 miles. This earthquake, which measured 7.5 on the Richter scale, then triggered other quakes, including a much shallower and more violent third earthquake. This later 8.2 magnitude earthquake generated most of the energy in the rupture series, the researchers said, and had far-reaching effects with waves recorded thousands of miles from its source. And it goes on, and I have a video of when we were out there in the baptism of, it was actually when we baptized Tyson, he's in the back row back there, when we baptized Tyson, there was a wave that came out of nowhere. And it, it there was no wind in this water. I have it on my phone. I wish I would have pulled it up. But it's just incredible. That happened three days before, and it's exactly what Jesus told me the next day that I had to step down to meet you guys. But how cool that it was a hidden secret earthquake that scientists came and described how it happened. I mean, Jesus as creator just he steps in and the laws of physics change completely. But there is an ongoing war for freedom. And you know, God wrote freedom in the DNA of mankind. You are created to be free. And what you are seeing all around the globe for the last 24 months is tyranny trying to enslave man into bondage. That Make no doubt about it. It is from Satan. If the church has to be in bondage and shut down and nobody else does, it is the enemy. It is absolutely the enemy. He's always attempted to rewrite the human code from freedom into bondage. That's what he wants to do. So I'm going to show these little clips real quick, and, and, I'm, and we're just about finished. But I, what I wanted you guys to see is that we need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Canada in Australia and all around the world because there is a move in those nations right now of godly people standing up and saying no more. We're not doing this anymore. And you're not going to see this anywhere on the local news. Can you play the first clip? There is some music, so I don't know if... This is the time we've all been waiting for. The sense of togetherness and pride and joy. I said to my boys, we're going to Ottawa. We're going to be with our people, with our Canadians. This is about every Canadian standing up for their families, for their future. And we are all together. We are all Canadians. We are all trekkers. We stand up for our people in Nunavut and all over Canada and the whole entire world and our children. This is the sound of change. When
So if you notice the, what a cool video. <clears throat> but the, these people have had enough. And look at that. That's the capital of Canada that they have totally shut down. And they made it illegal to bring fuel to keep the trucks running. And so that little clip you saw of all those people with two fuel cans, just the, the citizens stood up and said, no, we're not. You can try to arrest all of us if you want, but we're not going to back down from this. But this has led by the Spirit of God raising up Christians that have just had enough. And it wasn't the church, it was people that are doing that. And there's one more that's like 50 seconds, I think. From This is happening in Canada. And in Australia, look at this. That is the parliament, the capital of Australia. And the Lord told me to show this clip a couple days ago, and so I pulled it. And our families in Australia that watch actually sent me the same clip this morning out of nowhere. I didn't ask them for it, but they sent it to me and, and put a list, gave me some background on what's going on here, which I thought was just incredible. But this was a move led by one of the only politicians in the entire nation of Australia that's a Christian. And he stood up with godly people to march to tell the parliament just exactly what Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go. And there's these people everywhere, and they described how difficult it is to even get there in Australia because of the way they've shut down and you need QR codes and certain things to get there. When you see, I had another clip we took out, but there's a, you could see these people marching on bridges all over the nation, just walking because they couldn't drive. So they're going to walk there. This is what it looks like to lose freedom and to stand up as godly people. This is it. And things are changing. And what I'm, what I'm asking you all to do is you've got to pray for these people. Because last night in Canada, the, the police started to move in and they're, they're trying to arrest people now. It could escalate quickly, as you could imagine, because there's enough people there that have just had it up to here. They're in the snow, in the freezing cold for, they've been doing this for weeks now. And they're not going to move until the government changes what the bondage that it's trying to put them in. So pray for these people. This is, a, this is not a political fight. It's a spiritual fight. It's a fight for freedom or bondage. That is what the fight is. And so... Please keep them in your prayers. Pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world that are standing up and pushing back and praise God they are. Otherwise, it would just engulf everyone. But if you're watching this online and you need the King of Kings, it's simple. It's Romans 10.9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's it. Get saved, get in the army of God, and let's take the fight to the enemy. That's what this is all about, standing on the word of God. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for every promise you've given us. God, we thank you that we can stand on your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are so faithful. And God, just exactly what you told Pharaoh, let my people go. You are screaming around the world right now. And God, we just are in awe that we get a chance to sit back and watch your mighty hand move. Move in a way that there is no doubt that the world will know that you are God. And so we thank you for this time, Lord, that we live in. We thank you that we, as your people, as an unashamed bride, get to stand for you and go to war on behalf of your people. And God, we do lift them up and pray that you would give them protection that you would give them discernment, that, Lord, you would let a supernatural peace rest over all of those crowds. Let a supernatural peace flood through those people and let them know that you are sitting with them and leading them. Speak to them out of your word, Father. Speak to them and let their relationship with you go to the next level because they are watching Almighty God, go to fight and go to war on behalf of his people. And we thank you for it, Lord. Please 
be with us as we leave this place. God, you have a vision for this church and where it's going. And Lord, if that land and that building that I had no idea about is the place that you want us to go next, God, we are praying for confirmation, for discernment, and for wisdom. And God, whatever the case is, Lord, we are hanging on the promise that in February we launch. And we thank you for that word. Lord, be with your people in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.